0: Welcome to Uncontained, episode 121. I'm your host, Aaron Static-Render. On the show today, I speak with Jermaine Tolbert, a.k.a. Nate Calloway, a recording artist that had everything lined up for him going his way, had his three-piece band called 3D, and a recording contract with none other than Pharrell Williams, You know him from N.E.R.D., Neptunes, the super producer, superstar. He had all that going for him, but all of a sudden, he had to turn and walk away. And this episode, Jermaine talks about the book he wrote about his experiences. Remind me to think the genius behind Crazy. This is how Jermaine Tolbert lives uncontained.
1: How are you doing today, Jermaine? And welcome to Uncontained. I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on, dude. You have one hell of a story. But before we jump into that, uh, what have you been up to these days? What What are you currently working on?
2: Uh, just getting my book uh, publicated. Uh, that's pretty much it. Just trying to you know, find the outlets where I can bring awareness to the book uh, and the content of the book uh, and, and to the masses, really. That's the only thing that I'm up to these days
1: okay and well let's jump into what the book is about the book is about you and your life uh you let me get this correct you had to walk away from a recording contract with pharrell williams of of the neptunes correct
2: yeah absolutely yeah unfortunately sadly (laughs) but yeah
1: yeah so what what happened how did like why did you have to like walk away
2: well, uh kinda of mid signing the deal, uh actually had a situation where uh actually you know, was kinda, you know, off in terms of my thinking and I actually was admitted to a mental hospital, stayed ten days, um, and was diagnosed with schizophrenia and, and depression. And then from there is when I, you know, decided to, to step step back from music and to really get myself in order.
1: Okay, so what triggered this schizophrenia—did you have it your whole life? Where did this come from?
2: Uh, I believe that it definitely came from my consumption of marijuana. Originally, I thought it was more so the 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 time, you know, because I pretty much smoked like on every single day basis, and I thought it contributed to you know as much as I was doing it and how frequently I was doing it. But after doing some like studying on, on marijuana and knowing certain things and remembering my own experiences with it kind of start having the feeling that maybe I was actually smoking chemically induced weed, you know, that maybe could have, you know, offset some of my, you know, brain functioning.
1: Okay. So what I was, what I was wondering is like, um, I read that, you know, after smoking weed for like seven months, you started to like feel some of the symptoms of schizophrenia. Now, like I have a friend who has schizophrenia i don't want to throw his name out without permission or anything like that but weed is a mild hallucinogen on its own yeah yeah when he would smoke it would kind of so it would trigger the schizophrenia inside of him since he already had it
2: what uh, if you don't mind me asking what, what did you what did it what did, he, what did he exhibit
1: oh like when uh he would smoke a lot of times he would he would see this one reoccurring character that he'd always see and uh sometimes i ha- like just kind of have hallucinogenic things so i don't know it it wasn't uh, necessarily just just the pot there because i smoked the same stuff
2: yeah I, I, I think it's different for for different people like I actually have a friend who has no type of background with with mental illness whatsoever, and he was actually telling me this story. I thought it was hilarious he did too while he was telling me, so he said he he like ate a edible or whatever yeah, and like for some reason man he started seeing like coins so he it's like he he just kind of went blank it was like I got to find out how I got to find out how to get all these coins. So, he, you know, you know how Mario, you know, you know, has the coins and you got to go and grab. them. <laughs> so this is what he was seeing. It was like, he was he was really perplexed. Like, how am I going to get all these coins? Like, uh, you know, he's never actually dealt with it. So, yeah, marijuana is definitely, like you said, a hallucinogen within itself. And it's scientifically proven that it's definitely associated with schizophrenia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like the only thing I've ever seen is saw like a firework shoot up and turn into the moon. And that was just kind of the (laughs) extent of it. That's the only hallucinogenic thing I've had uh, since, you know, I actually have a seizure disorder of my own. So I haven't really messed with a lot of hallucinogens or anything like that. Okay. But uh, let's get back to talking about uh, you, man. We went on a little bit of a tangent here. (laughs) So you started out doing music really young correct
2: yeah i started playing piano like seven or eight years old Uh, that was kind of my first taste of you know actually doing music my dad plays all of my uncles play multiple instruments so it's kind of definitely within the genes
1: all right cool so how did you go from playing piano at seven or eight to getting to the point where you were about ready to sign with pharrell williams
2: uh, so, so high school, uh, there were a few guys start singing and you know, these are my, my closest friends. And, and I, I believe that I could sing like I, as, as a teenager, I would listen to, to CDs and somehow I was actually mimicking what I was hearing and I was doing it in my own mind at a, at a high level. I'm like, yo, I'm actually doing exactly what I'm hearing. But I was just so afraid to sing. And so seeing the boldness of my friends and, you know, they actually kind of heard me sing a bit. And they would tell me, like, dude, you can sing. You should." Well, why are you so scared? So they kind of really essentially kind of helped me get out of my shell, basically. Yeah. And we ended up starting a group in high school. We became a group and started singing in different places. Uh, we did uh, a talent show at high school, took first place singing a tank and one of his songs slowly at the time. Um, And so that was like the the start of my singing and and really, really getting really involved and interested in singing, just being around those friends.
1: Cool, man. What did you do once you started singing? Uh, Did you like join a group or how did this develop? Yeah. So, so me and
2: the same guys, we actually became a group uh, in our high school. We sang at church events. We sang at other type of events. Uh, We wasn't really serious, You know, in terms of really, really, really trying to pursue it as a career, we definitely just knew we had talent and was kind of exploring with those gifts, you know, untapped gifts that we had. And so uh, from there, actually leaving, you know, high school and stepping into college uh, and then coming out of college. By this point, you know, I actually had kind of developed into someone who really loved church, who really loved God, and I wanted to sing gospel. And so I actually ended up calling uh, those same guys, a few of those same guys, and asked, hey, do you guys want to start a gospel group? And we became a gospel group, and we actually did take it serious, and we actually did do it as you know, as kind of pursuing a career. And we ended up getting in touch with Mitchell Jones, uh, who's from the legendary gospel group commission, same group that Fred Hammond came out of, the same group that Marvin Sapp has come out of. He actually became our overseer and manager and kind of just helped us, you know, push into the direction that we were trying to go. We started traveling outside of our state uh, of Michigan, outside of our city of Detroit, singing at some of your major, you know, big churches, you know, mega churches, and uh, and so that was then. And then actually, we kind of disbanded after like three or four years uh, and then actually got contacted by an individual uh, from Atlanta who happened to be a manager for uh, an R&B and hip hop group by the name of Hamilton Park. Okay. And this guy actually uh, actually kind of became my manager as a solo artist. And that's when I stepped into the R&B field as a solo artist and. Uh, Doing my thing. And then, you know, some years went by of kind of, you know, building steam around my own city of Detroit as a solo R&B artist, as well as Atlanta, uh, you know, building some notoriety. And At which point, uh, a friend of mine, J. Drew Sheard, who's the son of Karen Clark Sheard of uh, the legendary gospel group, the Clark Sisters, uh, who Jay-Z actually just sampled one of their songs on his latest album, 444. So J. Drew called. He had just signed with Pharrell Williams under Star Trek as their in-house producer. Okay. And he had, a conver- he had a conversation with Pharrell. And they talked about they talked about starting a group, and so you know he asked me if I wanted to be in it, and he called another friend of mine and asked. So we're like, well, yeah, you know. And so that's that's where the whole situation with Pharrell came, and we became a group called 3D. And we started, you know, getting their things ready for our first debut album, recording all of our songs, you know, while Pharrell is on the back end getting things set up for the actual deal to be actually put on paper. Uh, And and like I said, at at that point, you know, kind of mid that signing is when I had that situation where I went to the hospital.
1: Okay, so you actually recorded some tracks for like Pharrell and that group 3D, you said, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jay Drew was the producer. Uh, I was one of the writers. Yeah. And Pharrell was kind of just allowing us to do our thing. And he was, you know, pushing us. He was behind
1: us basically. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, was the transition from gospel to R&B, was that an easy transition for you?
2: I think in, I guess in practicality, it was easy, but in terms of me wanting to do it, it wasn't necessarily easy because I I was in that lane. I was in that gospel lane. That's what I wanted to do. I felt that that's what I was quote unquote called to do. Uh, And then, so, you know, having the decision to actually step over into R&B, it kind of took some tugging from that individual. uh, uh, His name is Frame, who's from Atlanta, uh, who was the manager of that that R&B Hamilton Park. After having a few conversations and then kind of rationally seeing, you know, that that R&B music, You know, there there are so many songs. There are so many R&B songs, you know, that I remember that, you know, wasn't, you know, negative toned at all. It was total love songs. And that was the music that in my mind, in my heart that I really wanted to create. And so that was my decision to step into R&B. I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with love songs. That's what I want to do. And that was in and that that kind of opened the door for for so many things.
1: All right. Cool, man. So. You're up at the point where you are turning and walking away from the contract with Pharrell. What are some of the things that happened that made you be like, dude, I can't go on with this right now. I need to go, you know, take care of myself.
2: Well, so after coming out of that, first of all, there were some, you know, really, really crazy things that happened up to leading uh, before I went into the hospital, and so to answer your question, after coming out after the ten day stint there in the hospital, um, I was actually you know trying to figure out what happened. Started kind of doing some studying on marijuana, uh, kind of reading my Bible and prayer and meditation, trying to figure out what happened and how I actually ended up in the hospital, you know, and and how it happened so abruptly in my life and just kind of just stopped all of my forward motion, you know, just kind of like a smack in the face that that you, you have to stop and pay attention to, you know, that just kind of aware that, okay, something is off. Why is this happening? So during that period, I actually felt, I felt that, you know, God was actually leading me elsewhere, away from the group, away from uh, music. And so at that point, I felt, you know, it was it was my obligation to listen to what I felt God was leading me to do was to walk away. And so that's what I told myself. I was going to walk away from that whole situation. Uh, it, it, it so happened, you know, I wasn't actually planning on walking away or telling my friends or my group members then. But it so happened like an hour later after feeling that feeling, they called and, and they're going, you know, absolutely berserk. They're like, oh my god, oh my god, Nate is happening. Uh, Nate, by the way, is uh, my 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 middle name, and I went by Nate Calloway. That was my stage name, my, my artist name. And so they're like, Nate, everything is happening now. We're kind of finally about to take off, and I, and I'm on the phone like, well, what's going on? It's like Pharrell is sending us all out to Miami. We're about to go ahead and meet with him and Andre Harrell and get everything together, you know, get re- everything ready for the signing and everything, and, and for the, you know, for our careers. And you know, Andre Harrell—he's a you know absolute legend in the music industry. He upstarted Diddy's career and so many other uh, careers in the industry. And so I'm listening to them just rant and, and uh, rave about this, and I'm like, whoa! I'm I'm totally astounded. I'm excited. I'm actually having torn feelings because I feel like I literally just, you know, felt God telling me to walk away from it. But now they're calling and they're excited. And now I'm, I'm excited. It was so much like confusion back and forth in my mind, like, oh, my gosh, what what to do? Uh, and but at that moment, I just kind of knew that I wasn't I wasn't truly copacetic. Like they called on the Monday. They said that that flight was on was leaving on that Thursday. Okay, And, you know, I just listening and I'm just like, man, there's no way that I could. Get on this plane and, and be OK, like Because I knew that my mind was not in order. I knew that I was in shambles. Really. That's just really, really being honest. There's, there's no way that, that any good can come from me going on this plane, especially, especially feeling that God has told me to walk away from it. And so I literally on the phone right then and there, let them know, like, sorry, guys, I just can't get on this plane. Uh, I'm, something is happening. Something's going on. I didn't even tell them that I was in the hospital like a couple days prior. You know, that stigma is definitely strong. You know, that they yeah. say it really is total embarrassment. There's no way in the world I'm feeling comfortable with telling them that I was in the hospital. I just let them know, hey, there's something going on and I actually can't go. And you know, I have to apologize to them. And that was that. And and from that moment, you know, was, you know, pretty much first of all, knowing in that moment that that was probably one of the most brutal decisions I I would ever have to make in my life. Uh, But nonetheless, I made it. And and it took me like a five year period, man, to really, you know, get over the hump and really overcome, you know, that that, that diagnosis and step away from what is a quote unquote mental illness
1: that is one hell of a decision that you had to make right there, especially on the spot. Like they call up, dude, dude, we're going, we're going to Miami. It's happening. It's happening. And then I guess not even being able to tell them that you were in the hospital for fear of the stigma. Just being
2: embarrassed. Yeah. Just yeah. Totally embarrassed. Like what,
1: what is it that made you be able to come out and say like, hey, I can't go. How were you able to make that tough decision right there on the spot?
2: Really, it was just something internal. It's hard It's hard to, to put words on it. Like, I'm a spiritual person. Um, it was something I just kind of felt in my spirit, man. Like, I, I had to. I just I just had to is no matter how much I wanted to go and how much I knew that this was my dream. And I've been working plus 10 years. Like, mind you, I was I was working, as, as, you know, in music plus 10 years up to this point to get me to this point. But it was just something internal. I, I knew I had to listen to what I felt God telling me to do. Like, you know, most people, you know, at that moment, you know, will probably think, OK, this is a sign I need to go because, you know, it, it's. There's no way that I would be told that. And then they call an hour later. But I saw it backwards. I saw it the reverse. I felt that I definitely needed to walk away. I felt that, you know, anytime that, that you know, you feel that God has told you to do something, it's really up to, you know, the enemy to, to put something in front of you to make you feel like. You know, you want to go ahead and do something other than what you know you ought to do, and so that's how I took it. I felt like it was a for sure sign that I, I better walk away now because it, it happened too quickly that they, you know, called and said it's time to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was a huge decision, and it's probably good that you put yourself first because who knows what would have happened if you would have went on that. But uh, let's jump back just one second. You said your name for touring and uh, for your for your music was Nate. Callaway. Where did uh, Nate Callaway come from?
2: Yeah, well, my, my government name is Jermaine Samuel Nathan Tolbert. Uh, I was actually named after my great uncle, who was a great man uh, who, who started uh, a church in Detroit, a big church in Detroit, and an actual you know nationwide organization called the Pentecostal Churches of the Apostolic Faith, the PCAF. And so, my mom, my dad, you know, all my siblings, they all call me Nathan, which is my middle name, or Nate. So okay. I've been known by Nate. My entire life, and uh, my manager, <clears throat> Frame from Atlanta, who I told you about, uh, we actually decided to kind of come up with a, a artist name, and we started kind of putting you know names together to find a stage name. And he called me one day and he asked, "Did I know who Cab Callaway was?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, he's in you know Black History. He opened you know a lot of doors and broke barriers in music for you know Black musicians to be successful today." And so the the idea was to take you know Nate the name that everyone calls me already and just adding Calloway as paying homage to Cab Calloway. And so Nate Calloway was birthed.
1: All right. Very cool. Very cool. When I, when I read the name, after I found out like that, you went by the stage name, Nate Calloway, I kind of was like the only Calloway that I can think of that is in music is Cab Calloway, you know, with like many, the moocher and uh, the Heidi Heidi Ho song and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, jumping back on track here now, after you told the group that I cannot go to Miami, I cannot continue doing this right now. I need to take care of myself. What, what is it that happened next? Where, where did you go from there?
2: Uh, from there, man, just kind of really off into like a corner alone, away from friends, away from family Uh, I got rid of all of my social networks at at the time. I had a different Facebook and Twitter uh, and YouTube. Everything was different. I deactivated and got rid of everything, man, because and I got rid of my phone. I totally just got rid of it. I needed I didn't know what happened. And it was it was something that was so scary, uh, you know, for that to happen to my life. At that point, I didn't know what to do. all, All I knew is the answer lied in every single thing that I was involved in of my entire environment, it was somewhere within there. And so my only choice to find the the answer and what triggered this was to get rid of everything. And so at that point, I just stepped away from everybody, everything, got rid of everything and just kind of focused on how do I get myself back to a place of mental adroitness? How do I get back to optimal thinking? And I just kind of just went there uh, and kind of like three years, three and a half years passed and I was definitely feeling, you know, tons, tons better. I was feeling a lot better, but I really didn't get over the the, the full hump until that three and a half year mark of finding out. Uh, so, so so I was online one day. Uh, there's a multimillionaire. Uh, he made he made a statement. He said uh, the only the wealthy are wealthy only by uh, this one thing called knowledge. And so he's attributing massive success. To knowledge. And because I've always been an ambitious person, because I've always saw myself being massively successful and millions one day, I took I took that to heart. I took what his wor- words were, I took that to heart. And I was like, okay, so I just tried. It was just really a, a simple uh, test, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a scientific experiment, really. I wonder how much weight this really has. And so I just started diving into knowledge and information, man, just consuming so much of information, business book, uh, marketing books, self-development books, you know, books on character, all types of, you know, books and tools that I knew that would only lead to success. I just started diving into it and ingesting it and totally something transpired that just kind of blew my mind. It just really, really revolutionized my life, revolutionized how my brain works. Knowledge, we hear that term knowledge is power so often, most of us don't really get how, 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 how true that statement is and to what extent it goes and, and to how deep it really, really goes. My, 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 my brain, dude, it just totally shifted a ty- an entire paradigm shift, the lens from which I was able to see life through which and which I was able to... Um, interpret life through everything just w- was enhanced mightily like a, a thousandfold a trillion fold it, it just really totally brought a new perspective for me to actually see life through uh, and i'll give you an example okay. so albert einstein, albert einstein he says that uh education is not the learning of facts but it's just a tool to to think better it's a tool for optimal thinking and and, and so you know, something like the, the book, like the selfish gene, uh, selfish gene goes into uh, how our sperm beat off every other sperm. And this is why we are here in existence today, because it beat off every other sperm. So all, all of the press of thinking that I could have, you know, whether it be, um, I, I don't feel like I'm important, I don't feel like I'm good enough, I don't feel like, you know, I am enough, whatever the situation is, after after reading that fact, it was like, okay, wait a minute. So now it, I started using it as the tool to build a new frame, a, a new lens. And so that that the fact that my sperm beat off every other sperm, it told me or it taught me. It, t- it taught me how to think. I said, wait a minute. My sperm decided I was significant. It decided that I was supposed to be here. Yeah. It decided that my life has weight and that it has value. So every depressive and negative thought that I could have of myself. You know it just it was obliterated you know i it had to get i had to get rid of it and it, it wasn't even something that i tried to do it was something that that fact literally was the tool itself it just shifted my my perspective and my lens it was something that my brain had to adjust to dude you are important period
1: that sounds like some gary v stuff right there uh because uh, you know gary vanderchuk Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, cuz he has this whole like speech where it's like you are a winner just by being here. You won the genetic lottery just yeah. by being alive. Like the whole like out of like that one sperm to meet and that egg to make you makes you the winner of the race. So you're already a winner. So that just reminded me of that speech that he gave. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's really powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, man. Now, what are some of the books that you did read that really made the switch flip in your head?
2: I think I think it's uh, the, uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, for me, was a total, total game-changer, total mind-shifter, total paradigm shift, like, completely. Seeing, seeing all the information in that book, uh, that was a powerful one. Uh, what is another powerful one? Um, a book called um, uh, The Slight Edge, uh, the slight edge is, is, is another powerful one. There are so many, man. Like, oh my gosh, like you just be surprised that all the other nuggets that you can get. I actually got some powerful uh, information out of a real estate book by by Gary Keller. It's called the the mil- the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Before he goes into all of his, you know, information on real estate, the the first chapter really, like the first beginning of that book, man, is total. Total insight and information that has really no relation to 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 he's really just kind of building a framework for you to actually set, you know, your real estate information on. But it, man, that, that the first half of that book just really, really, really opened my brain up to my own possibilities and to, to just how significant and valuable I can be, you know, to the world and to the market if I only position myself correctly and only really develop myself.
1: All right, very cool, man. Um, So you found out there is huge facts to knowledge is power, and uh, that's what uh, determines success. So after gaining all of that knowledge, after diving in and reading all all of these books, what is it that uh, made you decide to get back into the music business and eventually write your own book?
2: Well, yeah, so... Uh, I decided to write the book basically after that five year period and now being able to be on the other side of a diagnosis of schizophrenia and depression. And you know, I just started to realize you know, there's so many people that are going through this or going through a mental disparity, you know, and they don't really you know know if they can come out on the other side. They, they feel like they're stuck and kind of. Uh, nailed down or anchored down by you know some medications that they've been prescribed and they they have to be on this for the rest of their lives. Well, I say not so. I say you don't have to. I say that you could actually overcome it and you can get through it because I did. And so in the book, I just kind of put in all the methods that I did, you know, to, to get over it. And it's not, it's nothing anything worthwhile doing or worthwhile attaining. It's not a microwave. And I think I think our society is so dumbed yeah. down. And so, you know, we we just think everything is a microwave. It's not. It's going to take time. But I got through it. And so, you know, I'm just putting in the book to helping people. Hey, you can get through it, too. And not only is the book for, you know, those dealing with mental health issues, it's for your everyday professional, you know, your business professional, you know, who who, who needs to get over the hump in terms of bringing into reality the goals that they have for themselves, the aspirations that they have. It's really about bringing in focus and intentionality so that we can actually capture the things that we actually want for
1: ourselves all right man that is that is some uh, deep stuff right there um like what is it like in your book you say you uh, put like some things that you used other than medication to get your schizophrenia under control uh what would yeah, a couple uh, of those things be I don't want you to give everything away because I want people to read the book still, but
2: (laughs) I'll I'll just go with the, the whole entire premise of the book. You know, like I said, the name of the book is "Remind Me to Think: The Genius Behind Crazy," and so it's really knowledge is is really the forefront of the book. You can't do anything in life if you're not ingesting new information. You know, these books and knowledge, you know, whatever form you bring it in, whether it be seminars or whatever, knowledge and information is the blueprint to anything. It is the navigation device that gets you from point A to point B, and it literally directs and shows you how to do it. You know, everything that we want in life, guess what? Somebody's already did it, and they wrote about it. Why continue to bump in the walls trying to figure out on your own when you can actually literally cut the curve 10 years, you know what I mean? And just pick up information that somebody else has already written. And so that's the whole basis of the book is just have a complete influx and an indefinite influx of new information constantly coming in. And that's, like I said, that revolutionized my mind. And that's really the core principle of the book itself is, hey, remind me to think. I've been lazily going about this. Remind me to think. You know what I mean? And then you look at, you know, your, uh, you know, Henry Ford and and Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein. People thought they were crazy. Obviously, these are, you know, some of the the greatest geniuses that the planet has ever seen. And they thought he was crazy. And so that's that's where the subtitle, you know, the genes behind crazy. There's there's plenty of genius that lies within all of us. And tapping into that genius is really what this book is after.
1: Yeah, dude, that's that's awesome. Like looking back in hindsight, it's like everybody is crazy until it works, and then they're a genius. You know, it's kind of kind of the way it it's works ad- when you try to do something different. <laughs> right, but sadly, yeah, sadly, true. I I agree with that completely. But okay, so book sounds really interesting. Is there is it out right now, or is it uh, still in the process of? being written, released, or where are you at in this process?
2: It's in manuscript form. Uh, What I'm doing is I have a fundraiser going on, which is called Project Genius of the Schizophrenic. Uh, What I'm doing is for anyone who donates, whether it be a penny or a dollar, I'm trying to reach funds for nine thousand dollars so that I can actually market and launch the book in the most productive way, in the most you know profitable way that you know the book can get into the hands of all those who need it, the information and insights that are in it, it can actually reach the people that it should. And and so um, when I'm doing the fundraisers for anyone who donates, whether it be a penny or a dollar, it really doesn't matter. Every amount is you know worthy of pushing the needle towards the goal. And I'm going to send uh, an original copywriting manuscript of the book to all donors and they can be amongst the first to read it. Uh, I'll leave opportunity for those donors and readers to email me back and forth about, you know, what they liked about the book, what they didn't like, what they think I, you know, maybe should consider, you know, actually putting into the book. And so by the time book actually hits publication, you know, some of the content may have, you know, could, could may very well change based on the feedback that I'm getting from, you know, the early readers. Uh, and, and so that's that's how we're doing that. And, and that that fundraiser is actually on uCaring. Uh, uh, a site com okay. slash genius schizophrenic project.
1: Okay, if you want to send me that link, I will make sure to put it in the show notes and uh, so everybody can click on that and uh, donate to help get this book out. So are you uh, releasing this by yourself? Is this going to be a self-published book? Yeah, it's going to be self-published for sure. All right, very cool, man. Um, so now you have the book coming out, and you've decided to get back into singing as well, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think once everything is launched and ready to go with the book, I will step back into music, but it won't be, you know, the type of music that I was doing. I think that my music will be more so, you know, reflective of my, my, the grace I was afforded to, to walk away and on top of a situation like, a, you know, mental illness. And uh, So my music is going to be uplifting. It's going to be inspirational, impactful. Uh, that, that's the realm of, of where I want to actually, you know, put my impact and, and put, put it into my music.
1: Okay. And do you feel like the stigma of mental illness is still the same as when, uh, when you were dealing with it and full, the full force of it back about five years ago?
2: No, no. I think especially because, you know, it's, it's crazy. Writing the book was a bit therapeutic for real, for real. Um, getting all of my thoughts out. Actually, I, I remember, you know, having to really kind of go back into my memory bank because around that time, man, who, who wants to associate themselves? I mean, obviously you wouldn't know because you, you didn't, you know, deal with it. But I can tell you from experience, that's not something you want to associate yourself with, you know, a, a mental illness. And so I really tried to bury uh, so many memories that I had, you know what I mean? Just really try to suppress every thought that could kind of be conjured and to get me to a place where it can make me feel depressive just because I know that I went through it. So I tried to, you know, really kind of bury a lot of my stuff. And so while writing the book, it was a little bit like kind of like getting me a little bit squirmish, like, man, like, I can't believe that this actually happened. Like, I had to really, really, really dig into my memory bank. And, and, but afterward like after i started like at first you know kind of remembering things and putting it on paper it was like oh geez. but then as i continued it was like it was a, it was really like a freeing mechanism i could i could i was freeing myself and didn't really realize it you know step it was more it was helping me more to step away from the stigma and, and step away from that whatever that feeling of you know, uh, you know, whatever the embarrassment or whatnot. So, so at at this stage, you know, I'm totally, totally completely freed from the stigma and I'm open and I'm actually, I actually know the power that I have with my voice. I know the power that I have with helping others that are, you know, dealing with it. And so I'm only, I'm only, my, my only goal is to impact and to, and to help free somebody else away from the stigma. So I'm totally free at this moment.
1: Awesome, man, and that, I think you're doing good work as well in getting this out here, talking about it. That helps reduce the stigma. And I do kind of identify with what you went through in a little bit because I mentioned earlier that I had a seizure disorder. All right, and when I I've had it since birth, so now I'm fine with it. But when I was a kid, like going through school, I didn't want anybody to know about it. I didn't want to be known as the kid with the seizure disorder. You know, yeah. So I I understand. To an extent, not necessarily to the massive scale where you're about, you're in the public eye at the time, and uh, you have to back out of a major contract to take care of yourself. That's a whole different level than I was used to. But I, on some level, I can feel where you're coming from on that. Okay. And when people can't see, can't see the disability, like if you're walking with a limp, people be like, oh, "Okay, something happened to the leg." But when you're dealing with something inside the mind, people are like they can't see it so they can't necessarily identify it and then that makes them feel weird about it at least that that's what i've taken away from it
2: yeah i got you for sure that makes sense
1: so by you writing this book putting it out coming on my podcast talking about it i think you're doing a great service to people who are just starting to go through this or have been dealing with this and haven't been able to find the right way to do so
2: i appreciate it man thank you so much Yes, and
1: this is a great segue into what advice would you have for somebody? Normally, I ask about getting into the industry of music, but for you, I'm going to switch this up just a little bit. What advice would you have for somebody who is dealing with the mental illness and the stigma in entertainment today? What advice would you have for them?
2: Uh, While they're in entertainment.
1: Yeah, basically what advice would you give to somebody who was in your position that you were in five years ago?
2: That's a great question. I would probably say know yourself, be aware of yourself, don't kid around with yourself. You know, a lot of times we try to push under the rug, you know, all of our uh deficits or defects or whatever if you want to call it that or whatever. We we try to sweep it under the rug and just kinda move on to the next thing, like, oh, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, I think it does matter. I I think it's important for us to, to truly, truly, purposely stay self aware, to know when something is off, to know when something is not, you know, quote unquote normal. And then to actually do do the things to procure that normalcy again and not just sweep it under the rug and think that uh, you know, it's not going to you know, affect me because later on it will. Like the things that we try to hide, you're only leaving space for it to smack us dead in the face, you know, a, a right along your, your walk and your path right in the future and your near future, nearer than you think. And so it's really being self-aware and doing what it is that you need to do to, to, to get in order the things that you feel like they are not in order. And not even to listen to, you know, other people who, who, who think, oh, you know, this is you or this is, you know, you have this or you need this because you, you, we're all smart enough to, to see ourselves. I think it's, it's, it's a little difficult. It really, really is to, to see ourselves and to put that flashlight on ourselves to, to actually do something about it. But we have the power too we got to get away from our denial You know, get away from our our tendency to try to pacify our own selves because we like to give ourselves a pass. But no, let's 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 let's, let's dig, dig, dig into ourselves and be a little harsh on ourselves because we want to be our best selves. There's nobody on the planet walking around. Hey, I only want to be half cool or I only want to be (laughs) half. my best self. I only want to be a portion of my best self. There's nobody on the planet that's going to say that. So why don't we know that and act like it and be, and really tell it, show ourselves, you know, give, give ourselves the approval to be our best selves and to go ahead and work on being our best selves. And that, that only comes through self-awareness, true self-awareness without denying.
1: Wow. Yes. That, wow, man, that, uh, that is true. So many people like kind of settle for like
2: yeah, absolutely
1: when they could, you know, go through and figure out how to be their best self. That those are some powerful words.
2: And, yeah, and, and you know, it, it's because of that that same point I brought up about you know we're, we're the society that think everything is a microwave. If something if something is proven that it's going to take more, you know, than than what you re- thought it would require. At that moment is when we, you know, step back into reservation and we settle like, no, let's go the extra mile to bring about what we really want and be the people that we really want to be. And it does, it's not a microwave It's going to take actual work. Anything that requires work, we decide we don't want it because it's not quick enough. And that's when we step in to settle.
1: Yeah, it's that whole instant gratification like mindset Absolutely. that at least America's in. I don't know about the whole rest of the world or not, but uh, like a lot of America's in that, like, oh, I don't see results right now. That's why they have like yeah. three-minute abs now. It used to be six or eight minutes, but now it's <laughs> down to three. And like, holy shit, now they have the like, thing that vibrates your abs for you, so you can sit on the couch and get a six-pack. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, microwave yourself. I like the term microwave. That one I might have to borrow from you. I'll give you credit for it, though. All right. So that is that is some really good advice to Put the work in, get to know yourself so you are being able to become the best self that you are instead of the microwave version. Don't be a baked potato.
2: I love how you said that. Yes, sir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Perfect, man. Perfect. So just uh, bouncing back one second, how is your relationship with your old band and pharrell are you still in contact with them at all now that they know what happened to you i imagine it was pretty tense back then like where they are like why the hell isn't he coming to miami with us uh why is he bailing on us but like now that they know what you were dealing with are things like kind of cool and smoothed out
2: Uh, i mean i think things were cool and quote unquote smoothed out then obviously I, I agree with you in terms of it being a little tension just because it was just like man you know this is this was the dream that we all had um but but you know no we actually are doing our own things man um, there's no bad blood you know if that's the question you're asking no black bad blood whatsoever these are my friends from middle school and high school and so there it would always be love there for sure so no we're actually just kind of doing our own things man
1: All right. Great, man. Great. I'm glad that's kind of worked out. I'd hate to see like, as you said, bad blood come out or like resentment. I'm glad there's an understanding, a good uh, mutual friendship from elementary school love going on there. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, what are you currently now doing uh, besides just talking to me to uh, promote yourself, your book and uh, well, your music's in the future again. So what are you doing to promote your book?
2: Uh, Just really trying to, like like you said, getting on as many podcasts and radio interviews as possible, Uh, and the actual fundraiser is for that I could actually pay for a marketing firm uh, to to really get behind me. Um, I'm just really doing all I can, man, all all unconventional measures, just kind of really thinking off the cusp and just trying to figure out ways to, to get awareness and get word out, whatever, you know, in whatever forms and fashions that it comes in.
1: Okay, awesome. Very
2: cool, man. Oh, and as well, I forgot to mention too, as well, I'm actually giving away my first chapter for free. So anybody can get a sneak peek at the book at no cost whatsoever. You get the full first chapter.
1: Where can they get that at?
2: Uh, Actually, it's through a link and I can actually give that to you. All
1: right, perfect. Yeah, give that to me. I'll put it in my show notes so people can uh, click on it. I'll just put a heading, get the first chapter free here. People will be able to find it in the show notes.
2: Yeah, or they can just go to my Instagram as well. It's on my Instagram page. Very
1: cool, man. So you have had, obviously, a lot of ups and downs uh, throughout uh, your career as a musician and now as an author that you're starting to write this book. I'm sure there's been some challenges. But uh, what is a highlight or two that you would care to share with the uncontained audience? Uh,
2: That's a great question. Um, A highlight would probably be... um, so. Uh, the manager that I had, Frame, who actually you know kind of basically walked walk my you know walked me into R and B and hip hop. Uh, that group Hamilton Park that he had, they actually went on the Screen Tour. Uh, it was it was Hamilton Park. It was Diggy Simmons. It was the OMG Girls. Uh, it was Mindless Behavior. Uh, the New Boys as well. I actually went on that tour with them uh, as you know the up and coming artist under okay. you know, the management my manager and to me that was that was spectacular man you know being able to kind of be in a room full of all of these you know up-and-coming artists and, and really getting my feet wet in terms of the tour life i think that was that was, that was that was that was i would call that that for sure
1: and the scream tour was that the like scream tour uh, it's like a it's,
2: it's a youth tour it's the same tour that that kind of broke uh, b2k uh, bow wow um, okay it's, it's it's really designed for, you know, the youth, you know, your teenage crowds.
1: Okay, very cool, man. Very cool. So, yeah, that's a cool highlight get into get out there, get a taste of life on the road. Did you like the tour life?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That 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 took my, you know, interest level, you know, uh, Uh, but uh uh, uh, yeah definitely
1: (laughs) (laughs) right on cool man because the road the road can be stressful from what i hear but it can also be a hell of a lot of fun um so now that you're working on this book you're you've done the music industry um possibly getting back into doing some music when people listen to your music or read your book what do you want them to take away and remember? Like, what do you want them to feel?
2: Uh, I want them to feel like that they can do and be anything, man. Uh, there's so much greatness within us. Like, if, if we only knew. It, it's sad that, you know, maybe some of us didn't actually have, you know, someone actually telling them and teaching them and affirming them that, you know, you are great. Go and do and be what it is that you want. We've been told no so often. You know, that when we get a, become adults, we feel like we can't do nothing because we've all been told no. Well, you know, if you're reading my book, if you're listening to my music, what I want people to, to understand is there is no difference from any human being on the planet, whether it's Diddy, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's anybody. You can be and do great things, period. Greater than what you think you can. Greater than what you think is the greatest you've ever seen. Just you, you can do it, and that's what I want to be taken from from my works.
1: Awesome, man! That's a great message to put out, and uh, I'm looking forward to checking out the book. And uh, may I'll have to click on that link to download the free first chapter to see what see what's going on. So I would love to know what you think about it, man. Oh, really? definitely! I'll give you some feedback. I warning, I read slow, so. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I will take it I'll take a look at the chapter and see and see what see what it's all about here, man. It sounds like a very interesting book and uh look forward to finding out more about it. I do have one final question for you, Jermaine. But before we get to that, where can people find you on social media? Where can they find out more information about your book?
2: I'm on Instagram at Jermaine underscore Tober. I'm at Twitter at J underscore underscore Tolbert and Facebook at Jermaine Tolbert News. Uh, as I said before, you can find the book at www.youcaring.com slash genius of a schizophrenic. Or you can go to www.gofundme slash genius of a schizophrenic.
1: All right, perfect. So if you send me those links, I'll make sure to throw those in my show notes uh, so you guys can all find them and uh, check out this book. So – I do have one final question for you. It is the title question of the show. Jermaine Tolbert, AKA Nate Calloway. How do you live uncontained?
2: Uh, I live uncontained by removing the limits that have been set on me, removing my own limits that I set for myself and totally do everything in reverse of what society has deemed you ought to do it. I'm, I'm a total unconventional person. I'm totally, uh, I hate tradition. Everything about tradition means stagnation. Everything about it to me represents no forward mo- motion at all. So be totally unconventional in your ways, in your thinking, and how you do things and how you operate, and you are bound. That there's no other way that you won't meet success. And that that's how I live contained, uncontained rather.
1: Yeah, don't live contained. Live uncontained, my friend. <laughs> 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 uncontained and unconventional right there. All right, so... That that is awesome. Thank you for joining me on my show today. And I have one final thing for you to do, Jermaine, and that is sign off the show. Jermaine, will you do me the honor of signing off the show today?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I would just like to say thank you, man. I really appreciate the opportunity for being on. All those who's listening, you guys definitely want to stay plugged in to this gentleman. He's doing some great things, and he's moving forward, and he's doing some awesome, awesome things. And I am Jermaine Tobert, and I live uncontained.
0: And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Jermaine for joining me and uh, sharing his story here on Uncontained. Make sure you check out uncontainedpod.com and click on the show notes page because I have a link in the show notes that will get you that first chapter of Jermaine's book, Remember to Think, The Genius Behind Crazy. Also, the links to support his book are there as well. Donate to either of those, and he'll send you a free transcript of the book. So, thank you for listening, and until next time, live uncontained.